This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. We're glad to have you with us again. Everyone loves a good mystery, a puzzle that keeps you guessing and wondering what will or what did happen. Today, Marcus and I want to explore one of our state's and nation's most persistent mysteries, the fate of the first English settlement at Roanoke Island here in North Carolina. Join us for this conversation about a new book uh, about this subject, about the lost colony, with noted author Andrew Lawler. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters, and it's glad glad to be back here with you all in the audience. And once again, I am very happy and pleased to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how is life? It's, it's going well. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Excited for today's conversation. Yeah, I how am, about you? I am. It's going. Things are going well. But I do have to say this: uh, the letter. I, you know, I'm so glad to to be here again. And you know, from time to time, you and I talk about it. We run into some of our listeners, mm-hmm. and they talk to us about the show and. Um, we're, we're glad to hear from you all and to hear how you're getting so much from the things that we're talking about here and from the guests that we bring on. So we want to just thank you all for continuing to listen and continuing to follow us. And Marcus, I had a conversation today. I have to bring this up because I had a conversation today with someone from uh, Belfast, Ireland, who wow. said that they have heard the Waters and Harvey show in podcast. And they were telling me, brilliant, that it's just brilliant. I said, mm. well, you must be talking about Dr. Marcus. No, 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 Dr. Waters. Wow. So the show is now international. It is. Yes, yes. Wow, this is both exciting and a little bit um, unsettling. That's right. (laughs) So once again, thank you all for listening and and staying here with us with the Waters and Harvest Show here at Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're so glad to to be back here again. Well, Marcus, we're going to be talking about the Lost Colony today. What do you know about this topic? You know, I teach North Carolina history at UNC Asheville. Um, I haven't taught it in a while, but, you know, if you're teaching North Carolina history, you have to talk about the lost colony, the colony at Roanoke, Virginia, uh, in Roanoke, North Carolina. But what what is so interesting about this is that I find I'm I'm still surprised at how many people fail to remember mm. that the first English yeah. settlement, our attempt at an English settlement, was here in North Carolina and not in Jamestown, yeah. Virginia. And this is this is what more than twenty years before Jamestown is established in sixteen oh seven. Yeah, I'm I'm far from an expert on um, Roanoke and its history, but um, uh, I, I have some familiarity with the mystery that surrounds it, and I know that. Um, uh, references have been made to it um, in American popular televisual culture. So, mm-hmm. for example, in series like The X Files, um, there's a, there's an episode that references uh, Roanoke and the Croatoan mm-hmm. um, um, name. And more recently, American Horror Story had an entire season um, situated in Dare County. So, right. uh, it certainly is. I think it has found a way to embed itself in um, yeah. in American lore in yeah. ways that are that are that are problematic, but also I think instructive. It yeah. is. People continue to work on this and for those of you who don't know exactly where we're talking about but Roanoke mm-hmm. Island is located in the outer banks of North Carolina right. um, this is like you said again this this attempt who established a colony there mm-hmm. by the English was in 1585 and then again in 1587 and the story we'll hear a little bit about the story from our guest today but we don't want to to talk too much about that in this early segment mm-hmm. because we want to give him a chance to, to tell us about that but what 115 uh colonists who came over uh, mm. to try to settle this area of North Carolina. I've often wondered, you know, exactly what happened out there. I mean, we don't have an answer to that yet. 
I often think, Marcus, about the weather and the hurricanes, you know, uh, which uh, I often wonder, you know, was that a part of uh, what might have happened out there on uh, those on those uh, Outer Bank Islands out there? Yeah. And I, I know archaeologists have been working hard to sort of figure out <laughs> what happened to these 115 colonists, but we really don't know. And and I think, uh, you know, part, well, part of what has attracted me to the Roanoke lore is that it really does seem to be a genuine American mystery. It is. Um, that, that that continues to sort of peak, to peak want to, to peak a sense of wonder, um, to peak the imagination, um, and there's a part of me that hopes that the mystery is never solved, <laughs> but maybe one day it will be. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. So we're going to ask our, our our guest about that today. I mean, because you know, there's there's also a backstory about mm-hmm. behind the development of the myth and the mystery itself, and how it has been mm-hmm. used over the course of American history. And that is what I found so fascinating about this book, this new book about this uh, topic. The title of the book is The Secret Token, Myth, Obsession, and the Search for the Lost Colony at Roanoke. And I'm I'm telling you, you're going to want to go get this book because it's just brilliantly put together and brilliantly written. So Marcus and I would like to step out for just a quick minute and we'll come back with our guest. Thank you all for staying with us. We're back again. The Waters and Harvey Show. This is Darren Waters. So glad to be here and to be talking about this very interesting topic of the Roanoke Colony, the colony at Roanoke in Roanoke Island in North Carolina. What happened to what we now know as the Lost Colony? And we're very, very glad and honored to have here in the studio with us Mr. Andrew Lawler. Um, he, some of you may recognize that name. He is a, he has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, for National Geographic. In fact, he has a wonderful article about this topic in the National Geographic. He's also written for uh, Smithsonian and Slate. He he is also a contributing writer for science and a contributing editor for Archaeological Magazine. His new book is, as we mentioned earlier, The Secret Token Myth, Obsession, and the Search for the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Mr. Lawler, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Darren. Hello, Marcus. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here with us. You know, we want to get to this book, but I think for the context and for our audience members as, as they're listening to the show, could we just start with a little bit about your background? Could you just tell us a little bit about you, provide our listeners with a bit of context? Sure. Well, I grew up on the coast of Virginia in Norfolk, just about, oh, 70, 80 miles north of Roanoke Island. So when I was a child, we would go down to the Outer Banks every year for summer vacation. And that was a time when there wasn't a lot to do there, uh, except for maybe bingo. Mm. And the other alternative was to go hear the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Mm. Uh, It was an outdoor drama. It's the oldest outdoor drama in American history, still playing every summer, uh, every night in the summer. And we would go and sit on the hard benches and swat the mosquitoes for three and a half hours. I I really am not exaggerating. And listen to this endless play about the Roanoke voyages, about the entire story of how the English first came to settle what is now the United States. And at the time, as a a child, it 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 was fun. It was exciting. There were 
you know, battles and and warships and and you know, people constantly wielding swords. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I, I realized that uh, what's really interesting about the story is that it is, in a sense, the, the founding myth uh, for our country. And uh, it's one that has been really pretty ignored compared to, say, Jamestown or Plymouth, about which we know so much and we hear so much as children in school. But uh, Roanoke is a mystery not just because the colonists vanished, but also because it really hasn't got a lot of attention in the history books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, I think you've begun to speak to this already, but I'm curious to hear more about uh, what what specifically drew you to this project. This is a massive undertaking, it seems to me. And, and, and if anybody's seen the book, you know, that, that's evident just by the size of the book. But could you say more about what 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 prompted you to really throw yourself into this particular project? Well, I was at a, a conference in Oxford in England, uh, covering an archaeology meeting for a magazine. And I was, I crashed the, the, the dinner for the speakers, and was sitting across the table from this archaeologist who politely, who I politely asked, I said, so where do you dig? And he said, oh, I'm digging in a little place called Hatteras. (laughs) And I said, Hatteras, North Carolina? He said, well, yes, have you heard of it? I said, well, indeed. And did you find the lost colony? Because I knew that Hatteras was one of the places where the colonists were suspected to have gone. (laughs) And he said, well, as a matter of fact, we have. And I almost fell out of my chair because I had been following a little bit, you know, the work that had gone on over the years. And I knew that there really were no new clues to what happened to the colonists and no expectations that anyone would really find anything left, any physical evidence that might give us an idea of where they went. Mm-hmm. So I immediately began to question him. And when he discovered I was a reporter, he clammed up, wouldn't tell me anything else. And I had to pursue him for about a year, a year and a half, until he finally agreed to let me come visit their dig. And that uh, started what became my own little personal obsession. (laughs) So this has been somewhat of a long-term project, it sounds Mm -hmm. like. Yes, I believe I was there. Was it 2014 or 15? I think I first went to the the dig, and then there was another dig I discovered nearby, and I went to visit that as well. So there were two competing teams that were trying to discover the first real physical evidence to the colonists' whereabouts, um, and this they were they were highly competitive. They wouldn't speak to each other very much, and uh, that made it an even more interesting story. And Andrew, I have kind of a follow up question. Um, you mentioned earlier that that the mythology around Roanoke is one of the f- country's founding myths, right? It seems to me that that would um, faci- that that would precipitate um, more more academic interest in studying what happened, but that, but that seems not to have really been the case. Do you have any, any ideas about what accounts for that? I mean, given that Roanoke, you know, the, this colony, this is the first attempt to settle um, in America, why, why the relative inattention compared, yeah. compared, for example, to Jamestown, 1607? Yeah. yeah, it's a great question because on the one hand, as you mentioned earlier, Roanoke has been the subject of all of these TV shows, and it certainly is part of the American mythology. Um, but in the history books, it's largely absent. So I was curious myself, why is that? Why do we really not think about Roanoke as academics in the academic world, and yet uh, it's a it's very popular in pop culture? And I began to dig around to see, well, why is that? And really, it's because there's so little data about what happened to the colonists that it, it's a vacuum that's filled with 
theories, imagination, and sometimes a little craziness. And a lot of academics have decided that this is just not academic enough, uh, that it's good to steer clear of this, because if you get associated with searching for the lost colonists, then you're seen as a, a bit of a nut. Uh, and there certainly are a number of very obsessive people who think that they have found the reason why the colonists disappeared. So academics really fled from this topic uh, in, in terror. Uh, and it's only recently that they begun to return to it, to really see it as the uh, the model, the template for what came later. Right. So, Andrew, you know, we're talking about, you know, this ongoing effort to try to figure out what happened to the colony at Roanoke. But you opened the book by telling us a little bit about the backstory itself, the story of John White's efforts. Uh, Sir Walter Raleigh is involved with this. Can you, for our audience, just tell us a little bit about the backstory here? Sure, and I'll, I'll try and, and keep it as brief as I can. So a little context really helps. So if, if you're looking back to the 1580s, you have to remember what kind of world it was. It was a world in which Beijing was the largest city in the world, in which the greatest threat to Europe uh, or to the Spanish Empire, which was the largest empire, the first real global empire, was in fact the Ottomans, uh, not the English. Uh, England was a very small, poor, rather backward country on the fringe of Europe. It was Protestant, and it was uh, in, a, in a time when most countries uh, in Europe were still Catholic. So it was really behind the times. It missed out on the Renaissance. And by the 1580s, the English were well aware that they were very far behind and that the Spanish had uh, garnered a lot of wealth and power by uh, colonizing the New World and taking what they could and, and then bringing slaves as well to create sugar plantations. So the, mm -hmm. Spain was fabulously wealthy at that point. So it was a, an opportunity for the English to try and get in there and get a piece of the pie, so to speak. And that's what convinced Sir Walter Raleigh to try and pull together the expertise and the funding to try and get the English to plant a colony that would perform a lot of functions. It'd be a pirate base mm -hmm. uh, that could attack Spanish ships. They could look for gold and silver and other metals that the English wanted. And they also were looking for a shortcut to Asia. They actually wanted to get past America to get to where the real money was, and that was China. Mm -hmm. So this gives us a little bit of the backstory. So then, so the, the colony is established, John White, um, and he comes, you know, 115 colonists who come over with him, men and women, because some of these earlier efforts, as I point out when I teach this in class, were really, as you said, were really military expeditions. But this was different because this brought over what were essentially families. Now, White ends up having a granddaughter who is born uh, during his time, Virginia Dare. We, we now know her. Yeah, so there's a story surrounding her and her image that I want to get to uh, us to talk about here. Who is Virginia Dare, you know, and how, how, um, how does she figure in the American imagination? But before we get to that, I'd like to just talk about uh, – well, we're kind of talking about the mystery itself because in the book you also begin to explore the development of the myth itself, the development of the mystery. And there seems to have been political reasons uh, for the development of the story surrounding uh, the lost colony at Roanoke. In fact, that th this you, you tell us in the book that the 
that the term lost colony was really uh, something that came later. It was never referred to as that by the English themselves, but that's something that we've kind of developed. Can you tell us a little bit about what is going on here in the development of this myth? Sure. For, for a couple of centuries after the colonists vanished in 1587 on Roanoke Island, the colony was, was really largely forgotten. There were a couple of attempts to look for them, but, but they were always half-hearted. And later, after the revolution, the, the failure at Roanoke was seen as just that. It was a failure. It was something that, that didn't last. Uh, the colonists didn't succeed, and Americans don't like losers. And so for that reason, I think, people just kind of shoved it under the rug and forgot about it, uh, whereas Jamestown and Plymouth became kind of the pole stars for uh, thinking of the origin of the United States. But then in the 1830s, things began to change. And I had asked the question of, a, of, a, of an eminent historian, where did the term lost colony come from? And she didn't know. I thought, that's odd. So when I went back and I looked, it turns out it, it shows up in the 1830s, at a time when the Indians are being removed to the West, particularly the Cherokee here in North Carolina. It's a time when Nat Turner's Rebellion uh, takes place in Virginia, just a little bit north of the border in Virginia from uh, Roanoke Island. And there was a lot of anxiety about the arrival of immigrants, particularly Catholics coming from Germany and uh, from Ireland as well. So it was a moment when for the majority white Anglo-Americans, there was a lot of fear and concern about the changes that were happening in the country and worries that the, the dominant group was going to be overwhelmed mm -hmm. by people both uh, who were indigenous as well as those from Africa and then these new Europeans who were not seen as white people. They mm -hmm. were seen as something quite different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and sort of building on, on Darren's question, um, Andrew, you mentioned a Virginia Dare. Could you say, so, so this is the granddaughter of, of John White. Um, how does she factor into this myth? Um, some consider her to be the first English child born on American soil, mm -hmm. right? which, which gives her some historical gravitas, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but how does she factor into this and in, into the formation of this of this mythos? And if I may, yeah. because it's interesting, as Marcus is bringing that up, is it, but some people end up referring to her as the first white child born yeah. in North America. But no, you're right, Marcus. I mean, you know, we get uh, a, a more specific to say the first English child, mm -hmm. but some people were arguing the first white child, but in, in you point out in the book, which I think is so interesting to think about, that, well, what does that say about the Spanish ch children of, uh, of, of people of uh, parentage uh, who were of Spanish descent in Latin America? What does that say about um, how they are identified as either white or non-white? Right. Well, to start off with, Virginia Dare is is probably the most famous American about whom we know so little. Uh, all we know is when she was born in August of 1587 and that she was christened a week or so later. And then her grandfather, John White, who was the governor of the colony, left for England for supplies. And when he got back three years later, actually on the very day of her birthday, her third birthday, he found no one at the settlement. They'd vanished. So this is all we know about Virginia Dare. Um, she was the first, as far as we know, the first English child born in the New World. But uh, as you noted, uh, for a long time, starting the 19th century, she was called the first white child born in the New World. Because, as I mentioned, at that time, to be white meant to be Anglo-American, meant to be of English descent. 
And those who came particularly from the, the southern European area, such as the Spanish or Italians, were not considered white. So this was a point of pride that uh, this baby had been born. So even though the colony had failed, here was this success story in that the English first planted their genes, so to speak, in the soil at Roanoke, mm-hmm. uh, which made her uh, a real symbol for uh yeah, for, for white power and the white domination of North America at that time. Mm. And what do you think this, this is sort of a, a bigger question that begins to get at, I think, the bigger question that your book explores, Andrew. But what, what do you, do you have thoughts about what this, what this story says about us as Americans? What, you know, what, what's going on there? Um, can, can, can something be learned about um, Americanness or Americanity, if I can use that term, from this story and how it's, and, and the myths that have, um, emerged around it. Well, you know how to ask the big question. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think it's clear that, as with a lot of history, uh, when we're trying to understand what happened way back when, it often tells us more about ourselves than it does about people who lived long ago. And I think that is certainly true in this case. We have only a list of names, really, to tell us who these lost colonists were. And As a result, unlike, say, Jamestown or Plymouth, where there's plenty of documentation and there's archaeology to tell us a lot about how people lived, we have very little to go on. Mm. And with all of that comes imagination. And when you're imagining something, it really does come from within. It is already your your view of the world gets imprinted on that piece of history. So that's why Roanoke is really valuable, because even though we may not know exactly what happened, we can say that if you look at the way we see this colony, it, it can tell you a lot about you know who we are. Uh, how do we see the mixing of races, for example? Uh, how has that changed over time? What are we proud of when it comes to this colony? What are we not so proud of? I mean, this is the moment when the English first encounter Native Americans, and things go bad pretty quickly. So the question is, is this something that could have been prevented? Is it something we would want to repeat? And these are all really important questions that I think tell us a lot about who we are today and how we um, how we view the country and what it means to be American. So, Andrew, thinking about what you just said, and so can you tell us what are some of the most persistent myths about what happened to the colony at Roanoke? Well, There are four or five kind of obvious things that could have happened. One, they could have just starved to death, right? Because they were English. They didn't know how to get on in an environment like this. It was very different from England. These were mostly shopkeepers from London. Uh, So they they might have starved. They might have been enslaved by Native Americans who who did keep slaves. They might have uh, been captured by the Spanish, but we don't have any Spanish records of that. That's unlikely. They might have constructed a ship and tried to sail back to England only to drown. But the one theory that historians today think is is the most likely is that they assimilated. Now, why is that the case? Well, how can I say that without having hard evidence? Well, there is some archaeological evidence of of people with Elizabethan goods living living among Native Americans. We don't know if they they came after Jamestown or if they were colonists. But what we do know is that in the 17th and 18th centuries, lots of Europeans deserted 
or were captured and taken into Native American society, mm -hmm. which generally would accept people because they wanted to fill empty slots. Uh, Small-scale societies, you need people to hunt mm -hmm. and fish. Mm -hmm. Just learn our language. You'll be one of us. Right. There was no color bar in that kind of world. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're hungry and you want to eat, what would you do if you were on Roanoke Island? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm thinking also, um, Andrew, so you mentioned in, at the beginning of your book that, that history can be a violent sort of thing, right? Um, and sometimes uh, um, the way that early colonists are remembered is, is as these sort of brave, um, courageous people um, who were venturing abroad to settle a new land. But their presence came at a cost of, of great human suffering, death, exploitation. How can these things be reckon these two things be reconciled? Can they be be reconciled? Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on this sort of other sort of bigger question that is looming here. I Boy, think. you you really go for the jugular, <laughs> don't you? Um, well, for me, ultimately, this story is a hopeful one because mm. what mm. I take from this is that at the very beginning, when when basically American DNA was created, our societal DNA was created, uh, it was people from Europe, from England, coming together with Native Americans and probably forming a new kind of society. And to me, that's a, that's a very powerful story that uh, clearly set the stage for what came later. So even if the colonists were forgotten, even if people didn't want to accept the idea of assimilation, even if people had to lose them because you know, you had to lose the colonists because otherwise they would have become Indian, and that wasn't okay in the 19th and early 20th centuries. So for me to go back and recover what happened is actually a, a way of reaffirming what I think is a fundamental core belief in what it means to be American, and that is that we mix together and we create something new. Andrew, this, you know, time just goes too fast on us. This is just a fascinating conversation, and I, I really would like to continue it. But given it, we're coming down close to the end of the show. I wanted to ask you one question. Um, what What is the one thing that you would like for readers to take away from this book? Well, I would like people to, to reconsider who we are. Uh, and to do that, you know, everybody has a creation story, every religion, every country. So I really want to shine some light on this creation story. And I don't want to tell people what it means because everybody will have a different view. But I want people to go back and look at the beginning. How did we start? What went right? What went wrong? What do we want to change in ourselves? So I think that's the power of history and that's the power of what is our founding myth. Well, a great way to end this conversation. Andrew, we, we really appreciate you. Thanks and so thank much. you for joining us. Again, the book is The Secret Token Myth, Obsession, and the Search for the Lost Colony of Roanoke. And we hope that you'll go out and pick Pick up this wonderful book. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Thank you all for staying with us. Marcus, this was a wonderful conversation with uh, with Andrew Lawler about this book. I mean, this is just a fascinating story. And there 
were so many other places I would have liked to have gone mm. in that conversation had we had time, I think. But he addressed many of those, many of the questions that I had in my mind about what is the relevance for us today. And he mm. ended the conversation basically, I think, alluding to what is relevant about the story for us today. Relevant. And, and I think what, what I'm reminded of, um, even from past, from past shows, uh, is the point that, you know, uh, we really are people of, of story. We're we people of the narrative. And I think what we what, what we're beginning to see cluster around this history is competing narratives, yes, right? Yes. Whose way of remembering this period in, in American history will reign supreme? That's right. And, you um, know, so it's an ongoing, I think, contestation. It is. Yeah. And this is what I think makes history so fascinating mm-hmm. because it is a, a constant tug of war between competing views. And I think that what he does so well in this book is to show us that these narratives, we make decisions about what we include and what we don't include we we there's a lot i think of uh, you know artistic license that we take when we write history anyway you know, this fabrication that has gone into the story and fabrication for certain reasons too mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. is fascinating to explore yeah that and also i think a root issue here is the issue of identity it is right what is. and i think this is this this was a psychological crisis occasioned by contact with an already inhabited new world. That's right. Um, right. And, and, I'm, and I'm not sure that this crisis has ever been resolved. And so I think this book sort of reminds us to, to think about, about that crisis. So yeah. good way to end the show. Marcus and I, again, want to remind you that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will talk to you next time. Take care.